This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Uh, our show, Spirit Matters Talk, spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Wa, uh, she has been making music for the yoga world for over 25 years and published books on yoga and healing. Wa teaches women's leadership training, sound healing workshops, yoga teacher training, and performs healing concerts. I recently was listening today uh, to some of your uh, kirtans and some of the music you were doing. I found it on YouTube, and I very much enjoyed it. Thank you so very much for co- taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you, Dennis. And hi to Phil. Yeah. Hi, Wa. Well, let's, let's, uh, we usually like to start by uh, acquainting our listeners with the personality and the background of our guest. Could you give us a kind of brief overview of your own uh, spiritual path and how you came to integrate your your musical training with uh, your your uh, role as a teacher and um, spiritual guide? Uh, sure. I I grew. I was born different, and <laughs> <laughs> well. That took me a while to figure out, but I was born um, kind of super sensitive and psychic and um, with higher frequencies. I uh, was born into a musical family. Uh, my mother's a professional violinist. My father is a professor and a, um, a great music lover. And so, you know, we had no TV and we, we spent all of our time making music, having philosophical discussions and and going to Martin Luther King marches, that type of thing. We moved every year, so we were in a different town every year. I have continued to travel through my adult life as well. And um, I was an exchange student in Germany when I was 14. When I was uh, 17, then I went to live in Africa, in Ghana and Nigeria, and then came back when I was yeah 17 or 18, and then... Um, yeah, found uh, nine people to live with and practice meditation and yoga and um, stayed there for 15 years. So I had kind of a, a very intense practice uh, for 15 years. And then, oh uh, boy, I don't know, maybe there's eight years in there where I'm starting to get into the world and, and uh, interact and then in 1997, started my record label and started moving more into service for the the overall global community. And at that moment, I guess Kirtan was just and yoga was just starting to come on the American scene, and so I had a purpose. Right. So we've now gone <clears throat> about 15 years, 15 years in the mm-hmm. in the Kirtan scene, and it's kind of reached its it's played out, and so. Um, Moving more into service in the in the realm of healing. Right. Now, uh, let, for our listeners that are not familiar with kirtan, uh, I'm sure most are, but may, many may not be. Uh, explain what kirtan is. <laughs> I, yeah. It's always fun to talk to Westerners because the word kirtan probably doesn't. An Indian might not be able to recognize that word. It, it's actually kirtan. Okay. And it's part of uh, Sankirtan, or it's part of a, a, a musical style that has developed in India for the people. So it's kind of a people's 
uh, folk music or devotional folk music um, style in India. And so it's a call and response chanting. It's something that you do in people's homes or um, or in temples. And it is typically in the Western style, it's done with mantras, um, with Indian families and at festivals and, and gatherings. It's, it's typically like love songs to God. But Westerners have been Sanskrit challenged, and so we go for these very simple mantras and repeat those. So it's a little different in, in the Western world than it is in India. Mm. Well, most people um, who, are familiar, who are familiar with kirtan, um, well, in the old days, they would have heard the uh, Hare Krishna people doing the Krishna Maha Mantra in the streets or something and thinking it was all mm-hmm. very weird. And now it's, it's, it's become a hugely popular uh, art form and spiritual practice. But most people are familiar with it as a call and response of Sanskrit mantras kind of uh, format. Your approach has, was always a bit different. Could you, could you explain, you know, how, what your approach to Kirtan has been? Hmm. Well, my, my life, as I just described, you know, I spent a good 15 or 20 years in very intense daily spiritual discipline. And so, you know, those hours and days or years of meditation are then what is informing my practice. And I still have, I guess, what people consider a severe practice, although when I compare myself to other rishis, um, my practice is is a vacation. Um, But within the kirtan world, you know, a lot lot of those people that are leading kirtan, they're just normal Americans who... Um, you know, they might smoke pot, or they might eat meat, or they might have a meditation practice. A lot of them don't do yoga. Um, you know, it's just, it's a way to kind of, it's an option. It's a way mm-hmm. to to stay afloat in a crazy world. But, and uh, so my approach is, it has really been with the spiritual energy that I have been able to generate and um, accumulate through my spiritual practices, how many different forms can I uh, put that in. So can I put it in the form of, of reggae and, and attach into the sacred music of, of the Rastafarian people? You know, can I put it into an African style? Can I put it into a folk style? Can I write love songs? Can I make it R&B? Can I make it classical Indian, which I've studied? Can I make it, you know, world music when I've, you know, studied um, African music? You know, how many, how many different forms can this beautiful divine energy um, move into? So it's really, for me, it's always been about uh, the embodiment of the effect of the spiritual practices, which is why I can just say, well, Kirtan's over, and so now I'm moving into healing, and I'm working in hospitals, and working with veterans and other people. You know, it's like, I just want to be in service. And so what the form is, for me, is is entertainment. It's like, how can we make this, like, so amazing? Well, I wanted to ask you, when you're doing when you're doing your music, and, and you know, I see it. I listen to it. You know, I see it as almost a meditation type of itself. And it seems that the the performer often uh, their state of consciousness changes as they're performing. What what is your subjective experience when you are performing? And it probably changes from time to time, uh, or maybe at each performance. But 
what are some of the uh, more profound experiences you might enc- you might experience when performing? Well, if we're talking about the practice of call and response chanting, then it really isn't per- it isn't performing so much. Although it is a service because you're traveling around and going without food and mm-hmm. missing airplanes, and you know it's it's somewhat uh, of a hassle to travel. But if you are doing the call and response chanting, then basically just a practice. So what you're feeling from them is that they're moving into meditative energies. If we were looking at that in terms of brain waves, then you would notice that they're going from beta to alpha and then possibly into the theta waves. They're, they're longer brainwave frequencies. You have less, the thoughts are less rapid. They release re- less rapidly. And so then you feel more peace. You feel a slower um, firing of the brain. And so you start to move into meditative energy. So, you know, is it, is it from mm-hmm. performing? No, it's from the spiritual, it's from the practice of mm-hmm. meditation in, in this particular way, which mm-hmm. is a singing med- meditation. Well, uh, if I, I just want to um, uh, talk a little bit about the musical forms that uh, w- one can now uh, observe on the on the kirtan circuit. Um, people think of kirtan and um, Indian style um, musical instruments like tablas and harmoniums and and that sort of thing. You play the bass, and mm-hmm. and I've seen you in performance where you have. Uh, Western-style drummers and other instrumentation. Uh, it seems to me there's there's a kind of blending of East and West that's musically fascinating and uh, very infectious. And uh, but at the same time, the use of mantra is very traditional. Uh, how do you approach uh, the the uh, impulse to be innovative and uh, musically? Uh, sophisticated, and at the same time honor the tradition that this comes from? Um, Well, to answer the first question, I think I would, the first question, which is, you know, all these different traditions then coming together, there was a comedian who said, who was going through all of the different ways that, uh, what are the names of all the different kinds of children if a Jewish person marries a Catholic, then what are they called, and if a, you know, Muslim marries a Hawaiian, like, what is that child called? That kind of thing. And he, at the end of this very hilarious skit, he said, in about 10 or 15 years, we're all going to be gray. Like, we're not going to be black, white, red, brown, or (laughs) anything. Like, we're all going to be gray because we'll have intermarried. So I would say that is really the answer to, you know, why all the musical styles. This is what's happening globally. You know, we're, we have access to everything over the Internet, and, you know, the money is becoming global, the music is becoming global, the way we interchange with, with each other is, is, is more global. So that's just a natural um, outcome of the way that our world is, is moving. And as far as the barometer of, you know, how many different styles or how many different kinds of instruments can you use, the barometer really is, is it leading you to slower brain waves? Is it leading you to meditative energy? And so, you know, I can tell in 30 seconds. People give me CDs all the time because I run a, a record label. Um, in about 30 seconds, I can tell how much practice 
they have had in meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, what, it, if it's not if it's not meditative, <clears throat> then it it's not useful in <clears throat> my book. Right. Uh, what is there a lot of classical music that you know may have been written three hundred years ago, or or jazz written more recently that you believe uh, that you you've experienced changed people's brainwaves in the in the same way that kirtans do. Yeah, look at look at look at some of the the slow movements of of any of them, Vivaldi right. or Mozart. I mean, if you if you really pay attention to the rate of breathing of the performers when they when they play that music, yeah, they're moving. They're well. First of all, a classical musician would be going into dharana, which is uh, concentration or, or focus, mm-hmm. and dharana then you know leads to jhana, which is meditation. So, and, and what about jazz? You know, it's jazz less so. Um, you know, if it, if there's a melodic line like Stan Getz and mm-hmm. um, you know certain styles of jazz, but if if you're being paid by the note, which is what we say in the musical world, <laughs> um, you know, and it's very fast and a lot of chromatics and stuff like that, it, um, that keeps the brain firing pretty mm-hmm. rapidly. So you, you you can tell basically by the rate of, of the eye blinking. You know, if the eye stops blinking, you're going into a deeper state. And if your eyes are, are you know, blinking fast, then the thoughts are firing mm-hmm. more quickly. And so, you know, jazz is, is a little bit more um, stimulating. Um, you know, really what I do now is, is taking people from an overstimulated world into a meditative one. And mm-hmm. so it's not just jazz or punk or any particular kind of music, but it's the rate at which the media is firing images at us. You know, the rate that we're trying to accumulate information and navigate our day, we're being bombarded with images at a very rapid rate. And, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, the, the world is accelerating. And I even saw an advertisement the other day that said, this is what you'll look like when you're 35% more productive. And it's, it's, it's the fallacy. You're not going to get more productive. The, the world might be increasing its pace, its intensity, and its, and its stress level, but the rate that the body uh, and the brain processes thought, uh, feeling, sensation, and emotion, it remains the same. And so, you know, I have to kind of bring people... I spend a good half an hour or an hour at the beginning of my women's leadership training just bringing them down from what I call a a nervous system that's jacked up. So basically, you know, not only do you have to be impressive uh, in real life, but now you have to be impressive in a whole other, whole bunch of other virtual worlds. So now people have all kinds of extra anxiety that they have to look good in in three different worlds. (laughs) So... (laughs) You know, for them to just come back to themselves and just tune into their breathing and for me to let them know that all is well. All is well. You're breathing. The heart is pumping. You know, life is moving. It's moving in a, in a divine pattern. It's moving. Everything is fine. And as, you know, I have to talk them down. I've, I have now my latest um, CD is, is nine guided visualizations that will help people heal or relax. So, you know, what do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night, after, you know, and you've just had a surgery and you can't sleep and you can't relax and you know that your thoughts are supposed to be going towards healing, but you can't do it. 
well, then this is, this is now what I do is that I take my spiritual practice and then I help people by allowing them to slow down and move into their own, their own frequency. You know, the, the, the human frequency is between 62 and 72 hertz. People who are sick, like if you're getting a flu, you might be at 58 hertz. And people who have cancer, they're at about 45 hertz. So anything over 100 hertz is no longer in the realm of living organisms. It's not trees or plants or anything like that. Our cell phones are like, you know, 1,000 thousand megahertz, 1,600 hertz. So, and the, the Wi-Fi is, uh, is 25 to 5,000 megahertz. So add six zeros. You know, so this is the kind of world that we're now living in, and so now this is a beautiful application of not only mantra or toning or or breathing practices, but also, you know, being able to allow people to be in their bodies and function and not just completely either disconnect or stress out. Well, now that you've you've brought up the current work you're doing, can you tell us more about it? I mean, uh, we think of your name and as... uh, and the venues uh, you're associated with as yoga festivals and, and yoga studios and that sort of thing. And now um, you're in hospitals and even planetariums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how did, how, did, how did that come uh-huh. about and, and how has the, the nature of your, your work changed? Yeah. Um, it, Everybody should read the American Veda. They haven't by Silicon <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> In a little little plug there, but um, one of the things that Phil describes is the sequence through which a lot of the Eastern traditions uh, were able to come to the United States. So, you know, the change of immigration laws, I guess, in the 1950s, you know, allowed these teachers to come in, you know, around the 60s. So let's just move forward. And then, you know, in the 1990s, yoga... Uh, gets recognition from celebrities and becomes becomes popular. So that arc line has now gone maybe about 15 years. And so in the beginning, when I and Krishna Das and from all whoever started, um, there weren't any yoga centers. It might be hard for you to imagine, but it was true. And there were a few yoga festivals. And so if you wanted to study yoga or get immersed in these teachings, you would travel a distance to either go to a festival or go to a yoga center. So the yoga centers were, were large, and they could hold enough people, and they could, could attract uh, large enough audiences for those of us that wanted to travel and travel with a band. Financially, it could make sense. Now we've been able to train many generations of yoga teachers, and there are yoga centers on every block. And the average class size is 15 or 20 people. So if you, tr- if you walk on the streets of New York or in Brooklyn, you'll, you'll basically, you'll see a yoga center, at least one per block. And so there's no venue for us. So unless you're, you're moving, unless you have your own following, you could, you know, do your own tour through a couple of different theaters. Um, you can't really go to a yoga center and play for 20 people. It's not financially viable. So I served my purpose at the beginning and, and through really the height of that arc. And now, um, you know, most of the yoga centers are moving towards yoga teacher training, immersions. Um, they're not hosting as many concerts. 
David Pramal took a year off. Krishna Das is taking a year off. You're seeing people now starting to um, disband. And, um, you know, the, the, the people have really taken up the cause. So people have gotten an instrument. They're kind of like getting together locally. A lot of those programs which are free. And so people are just getting get together to chant and, and carry those practices on. So that was kind of my purpose within that, that historical period. And now I'm looking at, in my search for looking for a place to be useful. Um, I've come across cancer clinics, integrative medicine, um, you know, veterans groups, uh, group therapy, all different kinds of, of groups that are meeting that could really benefit from the practices of yoga, from breathing, from meditation. And even though I do meditation in the chanting style and it is my preferred method, that's not all that I can offer people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you have, you know, when you have a group of people who have done cancer, and chemotherapy, then, you know, you get them in a room and, and you say, okay, you know, now we're going to move. They can't move. They've just had surgery. So then you say, okay, well, we're going to breathe or we're going to hum. So I'm adapting the teachings in order to help people. And then it was like, you know, some people are, are devout Catholics or they're, they're practicing Jews or, um, you know, they come from different traditions or Native Americans, whatever. And, you know, the the chanting is not appropriate for them. So in my effort to reach a broader audience, um, we went to planetariums in order to offer what is basically a two-hour yoga relaxation, if you will. You know, for people who know yoga, there's a practice called yoga nidra or relaxation at the end of class. And that's what I became famous for, five-minute relaxation songs at the end of, of yoga. Mm-hmm. And so then I, they say, well, can you do more? And I was like, yeah, I can do more. So I do a 15-minute relaxation at a retreat. They say, well, oh, so great. Like, can you do half an hour? Yeah, I can do half an hour. So now we have two hours. <laughs> and, you know, it's still not enough. People are like, oh, that's so good. I need, right. I need more of this. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we've gone to, the plan- gone to the planetariums because they offer visuals and we've slowed the slowed down the visuals in order to in order to bring people into um, slower brain waves and into relaxation and it also attracts eight year olds twelve year olds grandparents and people of all ages people who can't touch their toes people who would never go to a yoga class they can come and they can be in full appreciation of the universe as it is shown to them in the most glorious way possible in the planetarium. Then those lights will go off and the healing lights will come on. The healing lights are medical grade lasers. They rejuvenate skin tissue. They slow down brain waves. And at the very end, I have the planetarium bring up the projection of the earth rising. We leave the earth's atmosphere and we watch the earth turning and we sing an ancient prayer, Lokaha Samastaha Sukino Bhavantu, and wish peace for all beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as that earth is turning, you're, you're, you're seeing the Middle East, you're seeing Africa, you're seeing a lot of war-torn areas that would really benefit from your prayers. So it's, you know, it's become, I've tried to make it more universal. I, I wanted to ask you why. How important is it, like, for instance, in, in meditation, in yoga, uh, there's a proper way to teach and an improper way to teach. And 
if you teach him properly yoga asanas, it could actually be counterproductive to somebody's health and well-being. How is important it is with the kirtans that you're properly trained in in doing them, uh, uh, as opposed to anybody just saying, "Well, I think I can do it. I've heard a few. Let me give it a try." Um, pretty much everything the Westerners do is terribly offensive to the Indians. We mispronounce all of the words. Mm-hmm. We, you know, say, you know, we we perform the wrong mantras publicly. We we perform the death mantra at some <laughs> festival. You know, like we're doing like Mrityan Jaya, you know, which is like a Shiva mantra for death, you know, at a party or like we're just we're just, you know, generally offensive in a very innocent way. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not going to give any advice. You know, if it's like if it speaks to you, go for it. I pronounced everything mm-hmm. wrong. And, you know, I had, you know, big sisters, we call them aunties, you know, who, who like took me aside and it was just like, actually much better if you pronounce this way. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, you know, so, okay, you know, we get along. It's a network of interconnected beings. So, you know, if it speaks to you, then, then go for it. And then also know, like, you know, you're probably not doing it right. So don't get too proud about it. <laughs> Now, that's interesting because most people I know in the kirtan world are, are very proud of their pronunciation of, of uh, Sanskrit mantras and so forth and, and the use of traditional mantras, but I guess it's a lot more nuanced than we think it is. Mm, I think you'd find the integration between the Westerners and the in- Indians really um, surprising. <laughs> yeah, and in India, you you often see kirtan people uh, do things in a very different ways among themselves as well. And, mm-hmm. and uh, well, and you know, Krishnadas, I, I traveled with him for years while I was managing him, and he always told this story about going to his guru, and they would ask him for practice. You know, like is there meditation we can do? Is there some practice we could do? And you know, his teacher just said, you know, like how could I give you a practice? Like just sing, Mm. you know, and, and people have kind of um, romanticized this story, but it's like, if you were the guru and a whole bunch of drug addicts from America with all kinds (laughs) of uh, psychological problems arrived in your ashram for training, like what could you give them to do that would be beneficial and, and would kind of keep them going? But they couldn't do any real practices. They didn't have the nervous system for that. Drugs, drugs really demolished the nervous system. They 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 extract chi from the system. Mm-hmm. They extract prana. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're you're moving at a deficit after mm-hmm. that. And well, you know, it's a, it's a good ahead. practice. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a good practice. It's a mild practice. It's a a fun practice. Like let's keep it there. Is there a difference in your experience uh, with uh, the participants uh, who come to your concerts or your uh, kirtan um, events? Uh, is there a difference in what people experience subjectively and physiologically? And to what would you attribute those differences? Is it their moods, their attitudes, uh, what they ate and drank before coming? Do you see any patterns? Are we talking, what are we, I mean, that sounds like life, what they ate and what they, <laughs> right. how they feel and, 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the differences between, you know, our interaction with the outer world, which in my trainings I call, you know, relationship to other, um, a lot of those, a lot of those uh, relationships are the same as relationship to self, you know, but they can, they can be used, um, for, you know, they can be used interchangeably. So, you know, say you did eat the wrong food and you're feeling, uh, you know, that you overindulged over the holidays and or over the weekend and now you're, you're feeling quite a bit of remorse and, and you can't, you're feeling so much self-loathing that you really can't relate to yourself. And so then you relate to other and you go and you, you, you offer to, to, to do something for a friend. You do a favor or you do some service. Or you call someone else up and just say, well, what are you doing? And go play with a child. You get out of yourself, you know. And then, you know, the same could be true. Um, you know, you're, have, you're not relating to other very well. You know, you had just had a fight with your partner and, and um, it's not going well. You're screaming at each other. So then it's just like, okay, that's not working. So then what do you do? Well, you, you can move, you know, into relationship to self. You can do the dishes or you can clean your closet. You can move into connection to source and you can, you can do a meditation or you can do a chant. So, you know, these, these relationships of the inner world and the outer world, you know, they're, they're interchangeable in some way and they're interrelated. So, you know, you just go for the highest energy that you can. And if one isn't working, then um, go to the next. There's always a way to move into higher energy. Right. Uh, well, uh, thank you for your time coming on today. And, and uh, for our listeners, uh, how can they find out more about you? Uh, what is your, your website? Or where can they go? Yeah, we do um, women's leadership trainings called Vibrational Healing mm-hmm. and Healing Concerts. And all that is listed on the website, which is wahmusic.com. So wahmusic.com. Music.com, great. Mm-hmm. Phil, any final words? No, Wa, do you have any final words of wisdom for the people out there? What you do matters. Very good. Every, you know, it really does matter. It's like, be kind to your family. Work it out with those people that it isn't working out with. You know, make an effort. It really matters. Right. And, and uh, we want to congratulate you, Wa, uh, for uh, your commitment to service. Yes. There's no higher quality. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh-huh. coming on. All right. Thanks. Keep up the good work, Wa. Right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Phil right. and Dennis. Right. Spirit Matters, spiritmatterstalk.com. Thank you so much for listening in.